0: Hello, and welcome to the Foundry Church podcast. Uh, my name is Joseph. I'm the worship pastor here at the Foundry Church, and we are so glad that you found us, whether you've been a part of our community for a while, or whether you're just stumbling across us on the internet somewhere, or whether you've been a Christian for a very long time, or maybe you are just discovering or rediscovering uh, what a life of faith looks like for you welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, What you're about to hear is a message from our current sermon series called Life After Death, where we're taking a look at what it means to die to the self so that we can step into the fullness of life that Jesus calls us to. Uh, Let's get to it.
1: Good morning. I am so very glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or online. My name is Seth. And this is the Foundry, where we are all about a better you and a better world. How's it going? Good. Good. I realized something. More of you show up when we talk about food. <laughs> I, think, I think we're on to something. From now on, we will just be the church that does food, and then we'll have a continual attendance. Yeah, it's good. I'm sorry for those of you at home, help yourself to your own fridge. Um, we are in week three of a series that we're calling Life After Death, where we're talking about the self and dying to the self and the life that follows the death of the self. Over the past couple of weeks, what we've been focusing on is like the metamorphosis process of the butterfly, that as the caterpillar goes into this chrysalis, it dissolves itself, like the entirety of itself, with the exception of these things called imaginal discs, And then it uses this caterpillar ooze, this soup, to rebuild itself into the butterfly. These things that were contained within it the whole time that allow it to develop into what it was created to be. And so we've been kind of paralleling this with our own lives, that we are created in the image and the likeness of God. And so we are trying to die to the self in order to reveal these imaginal disks of God that have been placed within us so that we can step into the fullness of our own lives. So we're gonna take all this stuff that we've been talking about and we're gonna take it like just a little bit further, go a little bit deeper into this. Because what I've noticed as I've been thinking and wrestling with all this stuff these past couple weeks, which I hope you guys have been wrestling with this as well, but like, this is really hard. This is, it's really difficult. It's really challenging and can be really uncomfortable because what's happening is you're essentially at war with yourself. You're, you're fighting with yourself. You're trying to compete and like essentially destroy this part of you that is trying to defend and protect you. So it can be a bit uncomfortable. I, I found a physical example of this uh, internal battle. I want to show you what this looks like. This is what we look like when we are fighting and trying to die to the self. Take a look.
0: Come at me! Okay, with all due respect to everyone here, I think the most worthy opponent of you is you. That is correct. Unless there happen to be measles present. So let's just say that Dwight has come at you with the throat punch. Now, how would you, Dwight, defend against it? Easy, allow me to demonstrate. I am attacking myself with a throat punch. Here it comes. Block, grasp, wrist, as such. And what if he comes at you with the other hand? Because he does have two. Good point. point, second throat punch. Absorb the blow, groin punch, hip block, elbow to the gut, uh-oh, up to the nose, no you're not, ah, oh, oh my god, he's making you look like such a fool. He really is, but not for long. <laughs> Ow, god, instep, oh, not again, ha, 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 you let go, you let go, oh, you're right, Again, hold on, ha! ha! You two are so evenly matched, I don't know how one of you is going to get the upper hand.
1: This is what's happening. This is why it's so difficult. You're both so evenly matched. I don't know who's going to get the upper hand, right? This, this, is, this is what starts happening when you attempt to die to the self. It could be a bit awkward. It can be a bit uncomfortable, maybe even a bit painful. But here's the thing about it. It really is the only way to experience the kind of freedom, the kind of life that you were created to experience. The only way the caterpillar turns into a butterfly is by completely dissolving itself. Imagine if it were possible that like the butterfly goes into the chrysalis and then it begins this process of dissolving to itself and then it like, like a week into it, it's like, eh, this is really hard. This is really difficult. I'm not really ready to give up my, like my, my caterpillarness. This is too much too much work and so we just kind of gave up the dissolving process and then it emerges from the cat the the chrysalis like a week later and it's not fully a caterpillar and it's not fully a butterfly it's like this weird mix of it where it's like maybe a caterpillar body but it developed the legs of the butterfly but not the wings and so it's like a fat worm on stilts you're like what what is that that doesn't work. That's, like, that's not proper. That's not how it's supposed to go. The only way it works is for the caterpillar to completely dissolve itself to the Im- imaginal disc, down to the image of the butterfly that was already contained within it. Right? You can't half die to the self. You can't half die to the self. Yes, it's a long, difficult, ongoing process, but it only works when we die to the self completely and fully. And I think the reason that this is so difficult for us is that we're ultimately, typically, usually, we're afraid of death. Welcome to the party. We're gonna talk about death for a minute. It's always a good time. We're afraid to talk about death. We're, we're afraid of the death of the body. We're afraid of the death of self, right? Like what does actually happen to us when we, when we leave this physical form and are no longer functioning in this world in a physical sort of way? Well, we think we have an idea. We think we have some hope. But we don't really know. And then there's like this giant mystery surrounding the whole process. And then we take that mystery, and that makes us a bit anxious because we like to know how things work, and we want to know the steps and the plans. And now we don't know, and now it's, and then we get fearful of the whole thing. And then we try, essentially, because we're afraid of it, we avoid it. We don't want to talk about it. We do our best to completely ignore it. Or even when it comes to the death of self, that can be a bit scary Because we attach our identity to so many different things in our lives. Uh, We tie our identity to things like our jobs, to, to our relationships, to our abilities, to our hobbies, to our nationalities. And then, if I try to die to these things, who do I become? How do I stay me if I separate myself from all the things that I use to create this picture of who me is? So whether we're talking about physical death or we're talking about the death of self, the, often the thought is that it's just easier to not think about it. But the problem with this, I think, is that death can actually be an incredible teacher if you'll let it be. There, there's a lot of wisdom and insight that can be gained from doing this uncomfortable work of confronting your own mortality. Right? I, I, over the past couple of years, I've done my fair share of funerals. A lot of funerals the past couple years. For many people, we don't like funerals. We don't like going to them. We don't like being a part of them, right? Because we're forced to confront this great fear that most of us have. But what I've learned to see over the past several years, especially, is that each one of those things to me has actually become a bit of an opportunity. These are opportunities for me to like assess, to grow in my own life. These are opportunities to be reminded of the value of each day. To be reminded of the blessing of each and every moment. To be reminded of the gift of my family and the love that my family has that I have for them and that they have for me. I'm able to be reminded and be grateful for each and every moment and that I should take nothing for granted, right? Of course, there is sadness in these moments. But if you're open to it, there is a gift that is found within the sadness. There is a gift that death brings that it teaches us It allows us to confront this thing and it becomes this incredible opportunity to assess and readjust your life. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to do a little exercise like to get us going this morning. We're going to create two lists and what I want you to do is you can write this down or get out your phone and type it in your notes or you can just make a mental list, whatever you want to do here. But I want to give you a couple seconds, it's going to be quick, um, to think through list number one. Just write like one, two, three, ten things down. And then we'll go to the next list. So, the first list is this, okay? This is what I want you to write down, jot down, type down, whatever you're gonna do, make a mental list. Um, What are the things that you're carrying right now? What are the areas of stress? What is bringing tension into your life? What are the things you're frustrated with? What are the things you're getting angry with? Like, what's pressing in your life right now? Maybe it's the bills. Maybe it's uh, work-related. Maybe it's something going on in one of your relationships. Maybe it's uh, you're, you're worried about the future. Maybe it's you know that you get upset about things really easily, and so that kind of bothers you. What was that thing? Maybe it's the news. Maybe everything's fine, and then you were like, it was good, and then you started talking about death, and now I'm worried about that, and so I'm going to write that down. Take a minute or... As long as it takes me to get a drink and come back, what is the thing that's worrying, stressing, tension in your life right now? One thing, three things, whatever. I'll go slow. (laughs) Does that bother anybody? Okay, list number two. List number two, let's imagine just for fun, that you have a week to live. You have a week to live. What are you going to do? Write down one, two, three, five, six things. What are you going to do? By this time next Sunday, your physical presence will not be able to attend our wonderful service where we're gonna start doing food every week so that more people will show up. You'll be in the presence of your creator and it will be fine for you. What are you gonna do this next week? right? Where will you go? What will you do? How will you use that time? Will you spend it with family? Would you travel? Would you get away from family? (laughs) What would you do with your money? Would you save it? Would you spend it? Would you put it into a fund for your kids or your grandkids? Would you use that time to binge watch TV? Would you use that time to clean the house, mow the grass? What would you do? How would you spend or invest this week? Okay, I'll give you a Another second, where I'm going to get another drink, and then your time will be up. I'm thirsty today. It's very quiet. Okay. Now, I understand I put you on the spot today. Maybe this is something that you can take home and think through like in more depth later this week, something like that. But when I, when I think about this, when, when you look at these lists, the, the whole idea is that list two is always going to trump list one. What list two does is it reveals to us what's important in our lives, what actually matters, the thing that we actually value. And my guess is that any, if little, of the things uh, on list two have anything to do with addressing the things that are on list one, right? Like, if if, if I had a week to live, my guess is that most of the stuff that I'm currently fretting over, the things that are taking up so much time and energy and space in my life, most of those things will have no impact on me on this last week. Because the truth is, most of the things that we get worked up about really aren't that big a deal in the grand scheme of things, right? And just so we're clear, this isn't like YOLO mentality. This isn't everything's terrible and we're all going to die, so we just give up and we throw in the towel. And No, this is about viewing death as a wonderful teacher because it opens us up and reveals to us the things that really matter in this life. Right? There's this great line from an American author and poet, uh, goes by the name of Charles Bukowski in the mid-1900s. Um, he's a bit rough around the edges, but he does have some incredible insight, and he has this beautiful gift of expressing this insight creatively. Let me show you one thing that he said that I think falls in line with this. He says, we're all going to die, all of us. What a circus. That alone should make us love each other, but it doesn't. We are terrorized and flattened by trivialities and we are eaten up by nothing. Ooh, that's pretty good. We're all going to die, all of us, what a circus. Because we know we're gonna die, that should like allow us to like love each other better, but it doesn't because we get caught up in our own stuff and we allow the stuff that doesn't matter to like kind of take over, right? This is the difference between like list one and list two, isn't it? Yes, we all share the same fate. And you think having that understanding would actually allow us to like, be more kind and, and loving and present and giving to one another. But we get so caught up in our own individual things, our so small, ridiculous things, because of the self, because of the ego, and we're eaten up by these things that ultimately, on the bigger scale, aren't as important. And because we do this, we miss out on this potential for a deeper, more loving, more free experience in this life. You see, if, if I knew, if you knew you only had a week to live, my guess is your priorities, your goals, your values would shift a little bit. You would let go of the garbage things that you're clinging to, the grudges that you're holding on to, the, 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 the things that aren't working. You would let go of all of that. My guess is there would be a sense of freedom in understanding that you had a week. So you uh, you would feel this freedom to let go of all these things. And I think there would be a deeper appreciation for each of the moments that are before you. You would do your best to be absolutely present. You would do your best to pour out and express as much love to your friends and family as you possibly could. My guess is that it actually might be a phenomenal week maybe even the best week of your life. Because you've let go of that which doesn't matter and you've hyper-focused on the things that do matter and you've stepped into a deeper, more full experience in the moments that you have. You see, the, the reality is, to me, the only thing keeping us from that experience, from living that kind of life now, is the ego, is the self. And if we can learn to die to the self in the now, we could begin to experience the fullness of life that we were created for, the fullness of life that we ultimately want in the now. Okay, so a couple of thoughts that might help us move in the right direction, okay? Let's start with this. So I wanna show you a picture of a guy. You may be familiar with him. Uh, that His name's on there, so now you are familiar with him. Um, this handsome young man is not Brad Pitt's grandpa. Can you see him? Doesn't he look like Brad Pitt? He does, doesn't he? Uh, this is uh, Herman Rorschach. You may be familiar with his testing. There's the Rorschach test, the inkblot test, right? He invented this thing, came out, kind of started using it around 1921. And, And the basic idea behind it is there was a set of like 10 images and then they would show these patients, the psychologist would show this to his patients and then they would assess the person's personality, emotions, characteristics, any sort of disorders based on their response that the person had to the inkblot, okay? So... They would take this person, show the images, and then the perceived perceptions of the person of the inkblot was what they used to analyze their like where they're at. So what I want to do for fun is I want to show us a couple of inkblots, and then I want you to tell me what you see in it. No judgment. It was just for fun. If you see something that's not church appropriate, keep that to yourself, okay? Um, but we're going to put up an image and just shout out maybe, maybe what it is that you see, okay? So here's image number one. Is it okay, we got on the big screen. There you go. What do you see? What's here? Did, huh? I what Two People having dinner. Having dinner? Did somebody say beer? beer. Deer? Two dogs. Two dogs? Two people looking at a crib with a baby. Two people looking at a crib. Who was that? I'm going to have to not write that down and keep an eye on somebody. Um, okay, very good. Next one. What do you got? What do you see? Fire, flashlight? Forest. Forest? Two two seahorses. Deer. Deer? Butterfly Butterfly in the sky. Okay, all right, let's do one more just for fun. What do you got? Hmm. Seahorses again, this is the theme. Eiffel Tower. Mermaid. Mermaid. What was that? Hippy with a bald spot. <laughs> I'm going to have to take. who was that? It was Kevin. I'm going to write that one down again. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You guys did fantastic. I'm not judging you at all that much. So we have, we're all looking at the same image. Thank you. But we've got a lot of differing opinions. We were all looking at the same image, but we've got a lot of differing opinions. We're all not seeing the same thing the same way. So the idea or the thought behind this is that the, essentially the images themselves are neutral, and then what you say or what you see is a projection of the self or your past experiences onto the image, that a person's response to the neutral image reveals something that's going on with them and doesn't reveal anything really about the painting itself, it's, it's about what's happening within. The image is just a thing. It's not negative or positive. It's something within us, our perspective, our history, our past experiences, the things that the self has gone through that impose an idea or a meaning onto it. The reality is that most of life is an inkblot. Most of life is a Rorschach test. We go through this life, we face all these things that we go through, these various situations, difficulties, and our response and our understanding to the situations as good or bad, as whether we like it or not, as whether it frustrates us or makes us angry or whatever, is, more, is less about the situation and it's more about what's going on inside of us. Remember a couple of weeks ago, last week, we said it's not personal. So As we go through life, what the self does, the ego does, is we attach ourselves to these different things to give us some sort of identity. And then we have all these various experiences. And as we go through these experiences, we build up this collection of preferences. Here's what I like. Here's what I don't like. And so then when we come into a new situation, when we come across a new inkblot, our response will come from some sort of association with something we've experienced from the past, So we will use uh, that past experience to determine how we will respond to a particular situation, right? A really simple example of this is relationships. Let's say maybe you've got some trust issues, right? I know a lot of people struggle with trust issues. I get it. I understand it. Where does that come from? Well, maybe it comes from a, a, a situation with your parents in the past that maybe they continually let you down. Maybe you had a, a close friend growing up that somehow betrayed you. Maybe you were in a relationship and that person lied or cheated on you, whatever. So then you carry this like stuff with you, this past experience with you, and then you're in this new relationship or this new marriage, and then you text them about something, and then they don't respond, and they don't respond. And they don't respond. And it's been like five minutes and oh my gosh, what's happening? So now all of a sudden there's this ink blot, this new situation in front of me, and I start projecting all of my stuff from the past onto the situation. What do I see in that? Something's off, something's wrong. They're up to what they shouldn't be doing. Where are they? Did they die in a ditch? Whatever the thing is, we start projecting onto that situation. And so what happens is all he did, all she did, was like she was getting gas and left her phone in the car and didn't respond. And so you got really worked up about this whole thing that really had nothing to do with you. Nothing was happening in that moment. The, the image was neutral, but you projected a particular meaning or thought process onto it, and you caused yourself a lot of grief, and you made yourself miserable because you attached yourself to these past experiences to determine this situation in front of you. We do this with positive things as well, right? It's not all just bad things. When we attach ourselves to positive experiences from the past, this can cause issues in the present as well, right? For example, let's say you take your kids to Disney World and you have a great time. It's like cool, it's not a thousand degrees, right? It's in the fall. The park for some reason has a low attendance that day. And so like you get on all the rides as much as you want, and you ride all the rides and you have a fantastic experience. And the kids are like emotionally in a good place. Everybody's happy. Things go well. It's like this rare gem of a day. And so you lock in this memory in your brain. You're like, man, that was fantastic. What an awesome time. You know what we should do? We should do this again. And then you go back like a couple months later. And it's like the summer and it is a thousand degrees and there's a lot more people there and you have to wait in line and you, your kids are like sweaty and irritable as are you, right? And it's not that the whole day was even that bad. It's not like the whole thing was that bad at all. It's just that you're comparing it to this other thing. You're comparing it to the thing that you experienced previously, You're comparing it to the last good experience. You're putting that onto the moment you're into, and now because of that, you become a bit miserable. You see, it's because of your past experiences, good and bad, you've developed this list of preferences. You've developed in your mind what I like and what I don't like, how things should go in accordance to your preferences. And then what happens is so much of your frustration or suffering or misery, all these things that we face... They stem from a particular situation not aligning with our particular list of preferences. So it's not the events, the situations that you go through that are actually causing us the mental and emotional stress or frustration. Rather, it's the self because of our preferences that cause the mental and emotional discord about the situation. And so what happens is when the amount of stress and frustration that we experience in a given situation is that it will be determined by the contrast between what you mentally decide should happen in a situation and then the reality of the thing unfolding in front of you. And and when these things align or don't align to the amount that they align or don't align, that determines the amount of stress and frustration you will experience. So rather than embracing the fleeting moment that is before you and accepting for what it is, we allow our past experiences, both good and bad, to project onto the new inkblot, onto the new situation, which then determines our experience. The problem with this is that you end up limiting your experience in this life because you're allowing your response to the thing in front of you to be determined by the ego and the self from the past the ego the self the mind says this is what is right this is what is wrong this is what is good this is what is bad this is what i've experienced and here's the thing is that you will always in your mind think that you are right because you know what you've gone through you know what you've experienced but the deal is yes you know what you've experienced But you do not know what you have not experienced. And here's the thing. In the grand scheme of things, what you haven't experienced is a lot larger body of knowledge than what you have in your 20, 30, 60 years of life. You can't change this. You can't change this, this is how we operate. But if you can keep this in mind, it allows you to die to the self a little bit easier. Rather than trying to control a particular situation that you're frustrated with, and and, and when the outcome doesn't align to the desires of the self, when you die to the ego, when you die to the self, you don't project anything onto the situation, onto the inkblot, then you free yourself Uh, You're free to view the inkblot. You're free to view the situation from this gift with this knowledge that you're alive and you're even blessed to have this experience at all. To me, like this whole discussion really is about control and contentment. That's what this, to me, boils down to. It's the ego or the self that has this need or desire to control a situation, to attempt to fit or or, or bend the going-ons of the world into our personal preferences. Our preferences that have been determined by our past experiences, which is a very small body of knowledge in light of the whole like universal scope and spectrum. Like, it's, it's kind of an absurd notion that we expect the entirety of everything happening in the world to continually rearrange itself according to our preferences. That We want everything else to rearrange itself according to our limited experiences and, and our past knowledge of, of what we've gone through. Right? This is actually the, the root cause of most of our pain and most of our suffering, is that we're expecting everything else to fall into how we view the world. Think about how crazy it is and how crazy we are to think this way in light of like, the whole of humanity and the whole of the cosmos. And we've talked about this like, almost every week, but I'm going to do it again because I think it's important. Right? How crazy is it That I, that you, are like one out of seven point something billion people on the planet. And then you are one of seven billion people on the planet that's like in this one solar system, that's one solar system out of tens of billions of solar systems in our one galaxy. And our one galaxy is but one of like an infinite number of galaxies in this like expanding universe, like it's so crazy. We we're one person in this whole giant thing, and then we expect that all of that should function according to my preferences. <laughs> like, how delusional are we? And then we get upset, which is even funnier. That we get upset. It's even funnier. Like what? It's the ego or the self's desire to control that causes so much of our stress and frustration. And if we could learn to die to the self and the ego, then I'm free to see the inkblot as its own thing. I'm free to allow to experience it as, as it is. I'm free to appreciate the gift that is my life. I'm free to see that every moment is not only a gift, but is an opportunity for me to participate in. Potentially a chance for me to even grow. You know what's crazy is like, all this stuff that we're talking about... I think Paul actually addresses in Philippians chapter 4. I think Paul actually addresses this exact way of thinking in Philippians chapter 4. I want, I want to show you two sections from that passage. Um, the whole thing is good, and we're going to skip apart, but it's fine. Um, we use this one a bit, but to me, this is like so, this like, I just I, I, like kept coming into my brain this because of studying, because this to me, like in through the lens of everything we've been talking about, is like right on point, okay? So let's read this Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every situation. Now, the word for anxious here is the word marinmeo, which means to have an anxious concern based on apprehension about possible danger or misfortune. To have an apprehension about possible danger or misfortune, where does the apprehension come from? It comes from a past experience. It comes from the thing that you've already been through, and now you're projecting it onto the thing that's in front of you. So in any situation, do not project your thoughts, your concerns, your worries, the knowledge of your past experience onto it. Don't try to control it and make it line up with your preferences. You don't have to do that. Rather, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So instead of projecting onto the inkblot, take all those thoughts and ideas and worries and concerns and predetermined preferences and with a spirit of gratitude bundle them up and hand them over to God. Present all of that to God. Take all the ways that the self and the ego uh, uh, may respond in a particular situation and say, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm wrestling with. This may be what I'd like to see happen. This is what would make me happy if this were to change. It says, present your request. You acknowledge the thing and then you offer it. You, offer, you acknowledge and offer the desires of the self to God. And then what does it say? Because this is really interesting. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say, do this and you will get what you want. It doesn't say, do this and God will rearrange the workings of the universe according to how you want or like it. It says, when you do this, what you will experience is a peace that transcends all understanding. It doesn't even say anything is going to change in the situation. It just says that you experience peace about that thing. You will experience peace about that moment. Isn't this what we've kind of been talking about? That when I stop trying to control a situation, when I stop projecting past experiences onto, of the self onto a situation, when I take all of that, when I take all of the self... And I place that into the hands of God. When I remove the ego from the self, what it allows me to have, to do, to be, the place, allows me to come to a deep sense of peace that will allow for me to participate in a situation with a great sense of freedom. When I die to the self, I relinquish the need to control. And in doing so, ultimately, I alleviate the stress and frustration and the suffering that comes from the need to be in control. Or I will alleviate the frustrations that come from when things don't rearrange themselves according to my preferences. Now, watch the next verse. A couple of verses later, he tells us why he told us all of that, okay? Skip down to Philippians chapter four, verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So he says, The reason that I'm telling, the reason that he's telling us this stuff is not because he needs something. The reason that he's telling us this stuff is because he knows we need something. We need to learn how to be content. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And I think that the secret that he's talking about is the thing that he just revealed in the passages before it do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything take all of the thoughts, your concerns, your worries, your doubts, your past experiences, hand those to God. Die to the self, and you will experience this transcendent peace within your life. And then actually between these two verses, he goes on to say like, whatever is uh, noble, whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, he goes, think on these things. So, In any situation, you take the ego, you take the self, and rather than trying to control everything around you and trying to mash that into your personal preferences, rather than projecting images of your attachments onto it, you rid the self of the self. You die to the self. You take all of that. You place it into the hands of God. You empty the self into the presence and the hands of God. And when you do this, you will experience this transcendent peace. And in that place of peace, you're able to see what is true and what is beneficial. In that place of peace, you can focus on what is good, even in the bad. You will be able to reach this place of contentment, regardless of the situation that you're facing, good or bad, living in plenty or in want, in any and every situation, because you're not trying to control it. You're allowing it to be what it is. You're not trying to force the universe to align with your personal preferences. You are now participating in this gift that is your life. And then he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And I think what he's pointing to is this idea that Dying to the self is really hard. What did Jim say? The most worthy opponent of you is you. You're both so evenly matched. I don't know who's going to get the upper hand. He says, I can do this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That you will have the strength to die to yourself. It's the strength of Christ working in you that gives you the upper hand over the self so that you can actually die to the self, so that you can reveal the image of God that's been placed within you, so that you can experience the freedom of life that you were meant to. You're evenly matched with yourself. It's the strength of Christ working in you that allows you, that gives you the strength to overcome, to have victory over yourself so that you can experience the fullness of life that comes after death. You see, death is an incredible teacher. Death is like this doorway that helps us dis- discover what's really important in this life. We're gonna go into our time of communion, and I'm gonna ask our ushers to get in place. If you're at home, don't go anywhere because I got, I got something I wanna read you. Um, go ahead and grab your crackers, your juice, whatever you're gonna do at home. Uh, this is a time that... that We get to remember that we get to celebrate, we get to pause, reflect on the life and the death of Jesus and the new life that he brings. That through his death, we get to experience a new life. And so we take these elements, they're on your table, the bread and the juice that remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus. They remind us of the exact thing that we're being invited to, that we're invited to die into God so that we may experience the fullness of life that is found in God. Now, before we take the elements, I wanna read you a couple lines um, from this incredible woman. Uh, her name is Elia DeLeo, and she is, she's been blowing my mind recently. She's fascinating. Um, she is a Franciscan nun. She has her doctorate in pharmacology. She specializes in neurotoxicology. She's also a theologian, who specializes in science and religion with a focus on physics and the neurosciences and how that's important to our theology. (laughs) That gets crazy. Um, So she wrote a few things that I think ties in nicely to everything we're talking about. And I want to show you because it's brilliant. This is what she says. God is radically involved in the world, empowering the world towards fullness in love. But God is unable to bring about the fullness without the cooperation of humans. Human and divine cannot co-create until the full, unto the fullness of life without death as an integral part of life. Isolated, independent existence must be given up in order to enter into broader and potentially deeper levels of existence. Bonaventure speaks of life in God as a mystical death a dying into love. Let us, then, die and enter into the darkness. Let us impose silence upon our cares, our desires, and our Im- imaginings. With Christ crucified, let us pass out of this world to the Father. She goes on. Only by dying into God can we become one with God, letting go of everything that hinders us from God. Claire of Assisi spoke of the mirror of the cross, in which she saw in the tragic death of Jesus, our own human capacity for violence, and yet, our great capacity for love. Empty in itself, the mirror simply absorbs an image and returns it to the one who gives it. Discovering ourselves in the mirror of the cross can empower us to love beyond the needs of the ego or the need for self-gratification. We love despite our fragile flaws when we see ourselves loved by one greater than ourselves. In the mirror of the cross, we see what it means to share in divine power. To find oneself in the mirror of the cross is to see the world not from the foot of the cross, but from the cross itself. How we see is how we love, and what we love is what we become. We could chew on that for like another month or three. She says, death is an integral part of life. She says, let us die into God so that we may become one with God. Let us stare into the mirror of the cross. This is death of self. And in doing so, we learn to see the world not from the foot of the cross. We learn to see the world from the cross itself through the lens, through the eyes of Jesus the one who subjected himself to death out of his love for all of humanity so that through his death, new life would come to all. This is the beauty of this meal is that we remember the love that was revealed to us through the death of Jesus. That we're reminded of the life that follows death. This is the beauty of the meal that We are invited into an invitation to follow the example of Jesus, that we may participate in his death so that we may also participate in the life that follows. So I'm gonna pray, and then what we're gonna have you do, actually, I'm not gonna pray. You're gonna pray at your tables. That's why that stuff is there. I want you to, somebody brave and bold to pray over the meal at your table and then to pass it out amongst yourself, and to take this time to pause and reflect. If you're in here and you need some prayer, if you're online and you need some prayer, you can drop us a line. We've got uh, somebody over there lurking in the shadows that would love to pray for you. If you've got something on your heart and mind that you just need to get off your chest and maybe you're not ready to make it personal, you can write that down and put it in our prayer wall. That's a good place to do that as well. We want this to be your time. And what I want you to consider, what I want you to focus and think through is this death of self. What is the thing I'm clinging to? What are, what are, what are the tension areas in my life right now that I get worked up about that's causing me to respond and react this particular way? That's just the ink blot. That's just the Rorschach test. And what it should do is allow you to look into the inside and say, oh, 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 that's coming from this other place. Die to that, die to that. Ask God to help you to die to that. That's the only way it works. It's in his strength that we have this ability to do this. You're both so evenly matched. Which one of you will get the upper hand? All right. We're going to give you some time and space here. Sit at your tables. Pray at your tables. Have the meal together at your table. All right? This is your time now.
0: Thank you again for taking some time out of your week to spend a little bit of time with us uh, here on the Foundry Church Podcast. Uh, if you would like more information about who we are and what we do and what we believe, uh, you can check us out at our website, thefoundryc.org. It's the Foundry, just the letter C, dot O-R-G. There should be a link to that in the show notes if I've done my job well. Uh, You can also reach out to us if you'd like to start a conversation or have any questions we can answer for you. You can send an email to info at thefoundryseed.org. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to, uh, like I said, answer any questions that you've got uh, or respond to uh, comments or suggestions that you may have. Uh, For now, though, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Foundry Church Podcast. We'll see you next time.